Welcome to Zero to CEO, where seasoned entrepreneurs will teach you how to succeed. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. In today's episode of Zero to CEO, I speak with successful startup founder, Will Nietzsche. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And uh, we're going to be talking today about how to scale to $20 million in five years without selling the farm. Uh, speaking of farms, you sell a food product. So it's uh, interesting. I think it's kind of a pun, right? And um, let's let, let's talk a little bit about uh, the beginning days of startups. I mean, lo- there's a lot of people who watch or listen to my show that they don't really know much about how to start a company in the first place, right? So what were some of the things that you wish you knew before starting your business? It's interesting because I, I often think about things I'm glad I didn't know. Often, sometimes people will say, would you do it over again if you knew what it would actually be like? And I struggle to say yes, because um, it's just, there's so many dark, difficult moments. But of course, now on the other side of it, I am glad. But what did I wish I knew? I think I wish I knew, um, I mean, you can, in my case, food science, but if, if you're making electronics, engineering, or whatever, the technical know-how of your space, you can never have enough knowledge up front. So if somehow you're able to front load that or you have prior experience in that technical area, like that is massive to have at the outset. The business stuff can be learned, but um, and so can that, but it's just, it's just a big advantage. Um, honestly, though, I learned a lot really quickly, and there are some most things I found you kind of have to learn by doing and learn on the fly. Um, what kinds of things? So, I mean, just because <clears throat> I mean, there's like a, a bunch of different things that you need to know that are like critical to making it in the world of startups. I mean, there are like millions of startups around the world. So there's got to be like a success formula that you would suggest to people that could even the odds for you. Yeah. And there's no one you can skin the cat many ways and people have been successful in many different models. And, but what I would generally say is take the best risk adjusted path possible, which means have create a product or service that has a high gross margin, ideally a high net margin. Uh, but if not a high net margin up front, which most startups don't have a, a path or, you know, realistic path to a high net margin. In other words, a path to making actual money at the end of the day. And so, you know, what, it, what I like about tangible goods is it's all very cut and dried. Like you're, you have a certain amount of inputs, those cost a certain amount of dollars per unit of weight. That then forms your product, which has its own cost of goods. You ship that, which has its own fulfillment costs. And, then you get, you know, people pay you money for that. It's, it's all very, the flow of financials is all very cut and dried. And so none of it's all that technically complicated. What gets really complicated is the nuances of how do you maximize gross margin? Um, and that's, I mean, there's like, without, without, without like a detriment to the quality of the product. Cause like, right, you know, right. I, I've seen Shark Tank a zillion times and, the, the food products and the physical products, they they always get eaten alive because of the fact that they don't generate a profit. 
they're always in debt because they keep putting their money back into the business, back into the business, buying inventory, inventory, inventory. So I I would almost argue what's wrong with us, maybe just a consumer app or something where you, you don't have inventory and you just build software that people use. And so there is no gross margin. It's just the more user users you get on the app, the better off you are Then you can sell in-app purchases and whatnot. You, but you're saying you like the product market more. So I mean, that's, that's great. Um, there's terrible that right. Like apps, I think is one of the lowest percentage success rates of any sector. Um, so yes, in in a theoretical vacuum, it's great because you have a massive gross margin and every customer is almost a like whatever 98% margin, but you have to go through iOS's app store, which takes 30%, yada, yada, yada. There's, there's all, you know, you need the technical right. know-how. Any good technical person costs at least six figures. So there, there's pluses and minuses to anything. Um, and by the way, the, with AI, so much of this stuff's getting disrupted. With physical goods, you can't make an AI nutrition True. bar, right? So, <laughs> Um, you, you can use AI to help you with your copy and your website content and your marketing. Exactly. It's all, material. it's all additive. It's all, yeah. it's all upside, frankly. Yeah. Um, so, so let's talk about, you're talking about the consumer product, right? Consumer goods. When you first started, um, eat IQ bar, what were the first, what was the first 12 months like when you started this company? Like, what was the journey like? Yeah. So, I mean, I, you start with the idea, of course. Um, so for me, I was really interested in the brain. I studied psych and neuroscience in college. And then I also got really interested in nutrition for personal reasons. And so I became fascinated with this intersection of cognition and nutrition. And I thought, and I read a ton of books on it and studies and yada, yada. And I became convinced this is a product that needs to exist. And then, by the way, it, upon doing research on the market, realized it doesn't exist there is no ready to eat quote-unquote brain food so that was the passion stage the inspiration stage the ideation stage and then once i decided i wanted to do that i had to figure out how the hell i had no background in food nutrition manufacturing consumer goods e-commerce nothing like starting at zero because i had sold b2b SaaS software to oil and gas companies so like oh, wow. literally that was like as completely different, different. <laughs> yeah can't eat zero overlap and, and walk me through the gap in the market i'm a big fan of gaps in the market that's usually the kind of stuff that i like to build as well i go to the grocery store i'm a protein bar buyer i buy them all the time i usually buy the kind bars because they're supposedly the, the healthiest ones i walk through the aisle i see literally a hundred different name brand protein bars where did you identify this gap that you're talking about when i see so many bars Totally. Um, and we do have a big brick and mortar presence, but the first thought is don't, don't be on that shelf, period. So don't try to compete, um, in a phys- in physical retail. Start on e-commerce, which is what we did. Um, but the, at, at the ideal level, we were really the only and still are the only brain and body nutrition bar. So every bar out there, the kind bar is just kind of a snack. It's like I'm hungry. I'm now not hungry because I ate a snack. There's no functional benefit beyond that. And then there's a bunch of functional bars that are mostly protein bars, you know, protein being the functionality. Right. Some are high fiber, some are other things, but they're all body centric. Got it. And no one was 
brain centric or, or brain plus body centric. Those are, those are the drinks, right? I see a lot of drinks like that. The small little, um, small little supplemental drinks that supposedly help your brain. Those are the ones that I see, but not the yeah. bars. Yeah. 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 There are, it's much bigger in brain functionality is much bigger in the drink space. So, um, and you find that it's all very specific to form factor, um, the, you know, functionality, but, um, so we were different in that regard. And then we started on a Kickstarter and then rolled that into a website and then rolled that on to an Amazon presence. And another major way we were different and we stood out from the crowd was, was dietary. We, we thread the dietary needle across several large. And as it turned out, when we started highly trendy, hot diets. So one of them being keto. So keto was everyone thought it'd be a two year trend. It turned out to be a seven year massive trend and we sort of stumbled into it we created low carb low sugar bars because that's what's good for your brain right as it turns out a zillion people just wanted low carb low sugar bars just, and just other in general in general <laughs> right, right? So, it wasn't even the brain thing it was just like we need this product and it doesn't exist and plant-based as well which is huge i'm plant-based so that's a big one yeah, yeah, the, and that's the other thing. There was this massive shift from animal protein to plant protein. What did you learn from that. the? What did you learn from the? I wanted to go back. You, you, you talk about a Kickstarter. What did you learn from that? Because a lot of people try to do Kickstarters and they fail. It sounds like you succeeded, and then you moved onto a website. What did you learn from the Kickstarter? How did you really make that work for you? Um. Well, I learned. I mean, the point. First of all, you have to decide what's the point of the Kickstarter, and a lot of there's a misconception. From, from a lot of people where they think the point is to make money so you can fund your business. And actually, in most cases, that's not the point. I mean, it is true. You literally get money and you can turn around and give that money to a manufacturer and make stuff and blah, blah, blah. But your gross margin is going to be low enough in the physical goods world at the outset where, and you're going to make enough mistakes where like, that's not, you're not supporting your business off the, off that. So. The true purpose is validate your idea and and allow yourself to raise money at a good valuation because you have at least an inkling of proof product of concept. market fit. Yeah, proof proof of concept. So you're gonna so need to raise money, and that's a way to say, and by the way, they're all sales. So we between Kickstarter and Indiegogo sold ninety thousand dollars worth of product out the gate. Nice. Turned around, we prorated that, said, hey. You know, we were talking to you guys a couple months ago with just an idea. Here's actual sales of 2000 customers. We're worth X and you're believable at that point versus just having a power. Just an idea. Right. So, so now let's fast forward. You, you validated your concept, sold some product, and now you want to scale this by building a world class team and make this work. What did you do? What were like the three top things you did to make this happen? Well, for, it depends on what your founding setup is. I was a solo founder. Oftentimes, you know, if you have two co-founders or three co-founders, I mean, you can go really far with two and certainly three people because there's these big buckets when you're just starting out of, of things. Um, and you don't, you know, so there's sales and marketing and there's ops and supply chain at the highest level. Um, and so if you have two people doing that, you're pretty good for a while. I didn't, of course, I was one person. So my first hire was ops and supply chain. I needed to 
segment sales and marketing, which I would do. And then I needed someone to handle just making the product, getting it to a warehouse, making sure it's fulfilled properly, et cetera. So once I raised a little bit of money after the Kickstarter, that was the first hire I made. And then, you know, we needed uh, someone in marketing. So someone to oversee paid advertising, um, influencers, content, yeah, influencers, yeah. social media content, yada, yada. Um, create building the actual brand, the brand. Halo. right? Um, and then, and then we had that, and then you know you have eventually you want to hire someone who's in sales if you have an interest in brick and mortar sales. Um, so you need a sales guy or gal. So speaking so, about marketing, sales, branding, how did the, how did you guys differentiate your product from the plethora? I know you mentioned keto and the only product of its type with the brain food, but what did you actually do to get people's attention? Like brick and mortar category managers or just regular social, social media marketing, branding? Like what did you do to get the awareness out there? To, you're saying you're scaling your business to 20 million plus in five years. Mm-hmm. How are you doing that? Like, because everybody here who's watching or listening wants to know the answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say the first thing is understand channels. So sales channel. So it, let's say I have this bar, right? There's like 10 ways I can get that and turn that into a sale. So I could literally walk across the street, tap someone on the shoulder and say, Hey, you want to buy this? I could put it on Amazon and sell it. I could sell it on a shelf in a store across the street. I could sell it to cafes. I could sell it to food service, right? Where it's going into a company's break room. You know, there's so many channels that you could attack. So I'd say the first thing is look at all of them. Look at brands that are two, three years ahead of you who've made all the mistakes, tried all the things. And where are they seeing major traction and where are they not? Where does a product like yours, because almost certainly you're not creating some totally novel thing. It's probably innovated on something else. Where do the channel dynamics look Good. And it good means it's working backwards from your goal. So maybe your goal is just revenue. You just want to start driving sales. And so some channels are not all that profitable, but they drive a lot of volume. Other channels might drive a lot of volume and good margin. You know, some so you, might, you have to, you have you to know, like experiment in a lot of different ways until you see what works basically is what it sounds like. Experiment, but also look at real data from other brands that are a couple of years ahead of you. Um, but the point, my point being, like we did all that and we're like, okay, Amazon is just a no brainer. Like the energy in revenue out ratio is extremely good. The shopping volume is extremely high. Setting up shop is extremely low lift. And so that was a focus. For that you. was the first sales channel. Yeah. Makes sense. And where can people, I mean, you've already mentioned Amazon, but where can people find out uh, where they can, learn more about what your bar offers, where they can buy it, any socials, anything you want to tell our listeners. Sure. EatIQBar.com, E-A-T-I-Q-B-A-R.com is our website. We're on Amazon. We have a store locator on our site. We're in Walmart, Sprouts, Wagmans, a bunch of other stores. And uh, at EatIQBar is our social handle. Right, you're everywhere. Awesome, Will. This sounds pretty cool. Uh, you found a gap in the market. Check out eatiqbar.com, guys, if you want a healthy brain food, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you learned something today, 
Please support this podcast by subscribing to it, sharing it with your friends, and leaving a five-star review. You can learn more about me at jasonsherman.org, where you'll find information about my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, available on Amazon, as well as my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy or Skillshare. I'll see you in next week's episode.